Hello friends, I hope you're having a wonderful day. I hope that you are taking each breath that you get and looking and reflecting in your mind and looking at nature. I know in the Midwest, we are in the throes of fall and it's so funny because all the leaves haven't started the change yet, at least where I am. But I always remember prior to the pandemic, this would be the time of year where I would do a lot of traveling on the road and I would see a lot of my um, clients in different areas of Ohio and it would be so nice to see the fall foliage. I think it's so cool. But I wanted to talk about dark nights of the soul. Have you heard of that before? So I believe that this is my personal belief, but I believe that each of us are tasked with a dark night of the soul. And this dark night of the soul is one of those moments in life where you go through a gut-wrenching experience and you don't think you can breathe, live, or get past the moment. And it seems like everything that you've done prior to get yourself out of a jam, out of an issue, those things are, are gone. That you are in this dark place and you don't know when you'll see sunlight. And it's not a fun place to be. And there is an outside help that can easily extract you from the dark night of the soul. And the purpose, I believe, of the dark night of the soul is to break you open and choose a new pattern. The new pattern is to help you go forward and continue your journey, but also to be reflective of what you've made thus far. And a lot of times people think that they have control of the dark night of the soul. Sometimes it's brought about in catastrophic events. I can't get that out today. Such as a death, maybe a loss of significant loss of employment, changes in family dynamics or friends. It could be a health crisis. But this challenge goes on for some time and it's not one that you easily overcome. And you have to literally work and pull yourself through it at all places and angles. And you may have small, short moments of reprieve, but those moments are short-lived. And you feel like you are a hamster on the hamster wheel of life and you wish by goodness somebody would pull you off. And I know I've had a couple of dark nights of the soul in my lifetime. The first one being that um, back in, I want to say, early 2000, I had delivered my son at about 24 weeks. And at that time, we weren't expecting to bring our little son into the world. We thought we had more time. And the biggest thing I was trying to do that day was go to this movie theater with my husband at the time. And I remember we had just come back to our hometown to be with our family. He had recently been laid off. And I looked at it as an opportunity to start over. At that time, we had two little ones and we weren't expecting to have any more children, but I got pregnant and we were thrilled. You know, this was something that we were looking forward to. And I wanted a baby boy so bad in my heart. So leading up to the time that we transitioned to move to our hometown, I remember I had a nagging feeling that something wasn't quite right. And this nagging feeling wouldn't stop. And something propelled me to call a local hospital to see when I can get an appointment because I was far enough in the pregnancy where a lot of doctors didn't want to take you. However, I still needed to be under doctor's care. 
And my mom worked at one of the biggest health facilities here in Northeast Ohio. And she gave me some referrals and to call. And when I called, they had set an appointment out. I believe it was for a couple of weeks out. And I knew at that time, a couple of weeks out just was way too far. But I held on to hope and hoped that I could still move forward. In addition, I had abruptly left my place of employment uh, as well because I wanted to start over too. And I believe what I did was didn't define the length of time that I would be away. I just made it to be like I was just going to be off for a short amount of time, knowing full well back then I was relocating to my hometown and there was no way I was coming back to the Columbus area. And I remember I reached out to one of my colleagues who I had tasked her with taking work off my desk and to kind of distribute. And before I had left, I had a really good relationship with my colleagues, but we had just got a new boss. And this new boss was like the boss from Hockey Sticks. I mean, she didn't understand what we did. She was new to the this portion of the organization. And we just went through such a hard time with her. And I was glad to be transitioning away. And my friends gave me a good send off because they secretly knew, you know, I gave them the date when I was going to leave. And we had our send off. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm in the best shape of my life with my friends. They are excited for me. And this is going to be a wonderful experience. Well, fast forward a few weeks into my departure, I happened to call and I tracked down one of my friends. And my friend was one of the most religious people I met, but she was so fun. She had a way of just making everyone feel comfortable around her. And I believe her husband was a pastor, but she had this dynamic of just connecting with people. And I would always try to be mindful of how I talked and things I said, because I was always mindful of, you know, her practice and her husband's. So I remember reaching out to her because in my mind, she was the friendliest point of reference to call. And I remember I got this scathing response from her. And the response was, yeah, you left and you dumped all this on our lap. This isn't fun. And I remember I was overcome with guilt. I I did my best to clean up and I didn't think I had a lot of outgoing, out, you know, outstanding projects at the time. And I was just mystified that my friend I felt was attacking me. And at the same time, I knew I had a gnawing feeling that I just wasn't feeling the way I needed to in my pregnancy. And you have ever went through a time where you just don't feel right. You can't put your hand on it. It's not that you have any symptoms, but there's this inner churning. And I know this has happened with me uh, in my stomach where I just feel like something is off. So I get off the phone with my friend at the time and I'm just stunned and I'm saddened because I realized that I probably could never call back and rekindle what I had with these people. And life went on and I felt a little bad and I felt a little confused because I just assumed I would just keep this friendship circle and I was just an extension of a city away and these people would be there for me. And after I called, I realized they wouldn't be there. And then I'm living with my in-laws and that was a new dynamic. You know, it's different when you're in your own home 
And my in-laws were relatively welcoming. And I say relatively welcoming because they didn't micromanage me or my husband. They allowed us to be a couple and be together and we can sleep in the same rooms. And I was probably too pregnant and too paranoid for sex anyway. But they allowed us free access to cook and do whatever we wanted to do. Now, they were older, so they had control of the TV most of the time. And the little kids that we had at the time, we tried to have them go outside to just get out the house. And it would sometimes upset grandpa because he was so structured in his day. And grandma had long retired, but they had used to be, they used, they got used to being in their separate layouts of the house as though she was working and sometimes she would do taxes and travel so it was always this little part in the day where he grandpa was used to having the house to himself and now he has this grown man his wife and then we have these two young children grandpa was going through a lot so again I'm, I'm making these appointments and trying to get in and still not feeling right and I remember I wanted a date night. So my husband said, we'll go out to dinner and we'll go watch movies. And I said, okay. So I remember he said, well, I have to pick up my mom from work. I'll be back. So he takes us, he gets the car and he goes and picks up his mom. And boy, it seemed like a 20 minute run turned into an hour. And I'm sure this was just my mind at the time. Because I remember looking to see what time the movies played. And back then, we still weren't at the point where you can just pull out your smartphone and look to see what time it was. I think I was calling the cinema place and uh, just trying to see what the movies were. So I'm calling and I'm trying to reach him and find out where he's at. And I get ready to go to the bathroom because I felt like this overwhelming sense of having to go to the bathroom. And it was weird. And I didn't have to go to the bathroom. My water broke. And at the time my water broke, my brain picked up on the fact that something is wrong. Life as you know is going to be different. And when you leave this house and you come back home, nothing is going to be the same. I dialed 911, called the aunt. An ambulance was there. And soon after, my family meets me at the hospital. The doctor tells me, oh, I see all this amniotic fluid. It'll build back up. It'll be fine. The next doctor comes in and says, no, there's no amniotic fluid. And it looks like there's something going on with your son. And it looks like you have an infection. And this is why your membrane uh, ruptured. And we're going to do what we can. But we think there's little chance for your son to make it. That left me frozen. And not to make matters more uncomfortable, I then am wheeled to my room to wait and to undergo a birth process with a baby who probably won't be alive. So I'm scared, I'm stunned, I'm shaken, and I don't know what to do. And I'm in a room with a woman who's about to have her baby. And they come in and they check her and they're doing all this talking. And I can't believe that these people are having this happy conversation. And I have to shift my mind to either believe that baby Jesus is going to come and give me a miracle. And these people were wrong. Or the worst night of my night is going to come upon me. And to make matters even more complicated, we had a very nasty 
reception with the, um, I don't think she was a nurse, but she was like an aide. And I remember my family still had time to be on the floor. I remember because it was in the evening when all this happened and all our family members were coming to the hospital. And it was ironic because that was the first time they were seeing me since um, I had got back into town. And here it is, they get to see me at my worst. And I asked about my kids and there, you know, I was assured the girls were fine. And I remember the doctor came in that morning and I was finally able to to go to sleep. And I remember um, that night, as I was saying, we had the rudest assistant that came in and scooted my family away and said they couldn't be there and just really made one of the most horrible nights of my life, even extra horrible. So I then get scooted, my family gets scooted away. I don't know how much sleep, if any sleep happened that night. And I remember they woke me up and I remember they got a wheelchair and they were telling me that I had to deliver and I had to deliver now or it was gonna be me or the baby. And I remember I told my husband to make the decision and my husband chose to, for my life. And I remember at that time, I was just frozen in time how could my husband choose me? Why won't he just allow my son to be born? I was devastated. So I get wheeled into the room and I never had a vaginal delivery. I've always had C-sections with the other two kids and that was the expectation. But because the baby was so small and I was so, I was just in the 24 weeks of my pregnancy, I was forced to have a vaginal delivery. So I go through this vaginal delivery and it wasn't what I expected. And I'm crying and I'm hysterical and I'm trying to get through everything as best as I can. And I remember when the baby came out, I didn't hear the normal cry, but I remember my baby lived for an hour. They honestly thought he was gonna be dead at the time he was born. And I remember they asking me if I wanted to hold him. And I remember holding him. And I remember my husband coming over holding him. And I remember my husband let out this cry that I never want to hear in my life again from anyone. And this cry was a cry that came from the underbelly of hurt and pain. And the pain of him losing his only son in that moment was just insurmountable. So you can imagine a young family less than 24 hours. We have a baby that we didn't explain that, plan to have 16 weeks early. And now we have to think about how about his death? So the priests come in and they want to pray and my family comes in and they say their goodbyes and they let me spend time with the baby once I got situated in my room. And I remember how horrible it was when I had got admitted to the hospital and the people on the floor were so nasty. And I remember that everyone that came in my room was so nice I mean, it was like God had pan-picked angels. And I remember I snuck outside. I had, you know how if you've ever been in the hospital, your butt is wide open to the world right in the back. And I didn't have that duo where I had two nightgowns, where you throw one nightgown and wear it front and one you wear it in the back. So I was trying to hold the IV pole and also hold and grab my... Um, my, you know, behind me so people wouldn't see my hiney when I went outside. And I remember I lifted my head outside and I remember I saw this 
um, little, uh, what is it? It's like a little um, emblem. And that emblem signified that this mom had lost a baby. And I thought, wow, the hospital was sensitive enough to let staff members know that I had just suffered a loss and that to handle me with care. And during my birthing process, God also gave me the angel in the form of a nurse. I believe her name was Diane, and I kept like a a little journal and information I got from the March of Dimes. And I remember I wrote all about her. And I remember that she was my guiding angel. She held my hand. She gave me so much peace and comfort in one of the worst times of my life. And I remember that when I left, I also, let me back up. So I have the baby and I'm not, I can't remember the duration of my stay, but I know it wasn't long. But I also was tasked with making funeral arrangements. Now here I am in my 20s. I have two young kids. I think I had at this point been to two funerals in my entire life. And that's also including as a kid. I didn't have anything with the funeral process. And I called my parents and they were a little stunned. And they were trying to get information for me. We didn't have the money or a policy that we had that would cover the baby, let alone ourselves. My husband had just got uh, let go out of his job. So we didn't port a lot of the coverage or I didn't even think it would apply. So we didn't even have medical coverage. So that's another caveat. We had just exhausted his uh his 30 days or whatever the time frame they give you to before you continue on COBRA. Our, our insurance had just ended. So here it is. I'm, un, I'm not insured. I don't have any type of formalized uh, funeral arrangements that I know of, nor did I know how to do it. I didn't have any extra monies. It was just I was at a flurry, and I remember at one point I had to ask the hospital staff to leave my room because I just was just insurmountably in so much pain that I couldn't figure out how I was going to get through the next steps. And in those days, that's when you still had your old phone. You had the um, the phone book. Sorry, you had the you had the yellow pages or the white pages. And I remember I had all these IVs hooked up to me, and my hands were. Oh, they were hurting so bad because they had jammed the IVs in my hand. And that was the only place they can get a vein. And I remember being so sore, but having to like thumb through the pages of this I, this phone book to call different funeral homes and see if I qualify for like a $500 uh, stipend I was told that people get. And no one knew what I was talking about. And I had to keep repeating the story about my dead baby. And again, angels appeared and the hospital said, well, we actually have a special program. Now, what we do is cremate the babies and they all have a ceremony at a appointed time. So we can take your son's ashes and we can sprinkle them and put them in a headstone while he'll be with the other babies. And I said, okay, we'll do that. So I remember we go through this process and this is all in October. And I remember it clearly because one of my favorite ho- holidays is Halloween. I am a Halloween freak. I love Halloween. Uh, my dad got me into Halloween when I was a kid. And I love dressing up my kids and taking them out. 
And I remember that we had what we call back then, I don't know what we called it, but maybe we had a repast where we didn't have an actual funeral services, but we read some poetry that my husband wrote at the time. It was beautiful. And we had both sides of the family, limited people come over and, you know, they gave their condolences. And I remember when I was being wheeled out of the hospital and I saw people laughing and talking, I thought like, boy, people don't know. I just lost my baby today. Like I came to this hospital and I was a pregnant woman and I'm leaving out and this baby I was supposed to bring home isn't coming home with me. And I felt like I was broke open. And I remember I went through all the after effects of what happens to you after you have a baby. So I, my arms literally ached for months. And it ached in a way that my body knew there was supposed to be somebody with me. And I remember I had tried to conceive shortly after the loss. It was six weeks exactly. And we were trying to conceive. And I remember we got a referral to join these uh, parents who also suffered a loss. And I remember I thought it was stupid going to this group to talk about dead babies and to be subject to the pain again. And I remember my mom was adamant about me going to this program and I didn't want to go. I mean, I kicked and screamed and I remember my ex-husband would drop me off at the uh, hospital door and I didn't want to join these people. And reluctantly over time, he didn't give up and my mom was forceful and I went I went every week and I also obtained employment during this time. And I was working as a receptionist at a inner city clinic. And that clinic was amusing. You got to see people at their absolute best. You got to see doctors at their finest working with what they had. And it was just such an interesting environment. And I needed something to keep busy. And I remember my parents being so upset because at the time my ex-husband still wasn't working and he was at home with the kids all day. And I think I even had one of the kids in daycare and my parents were livid. You know, you just lost your baby. Why are you out working? And I remember I said, you know, we needed the money and, you know, this def- I'm, I'm, that's all I know is working. But it was through this process where I broke open And I had this therapy and I met these people and I began to see different sides of life working in this office of inner city people um, getting health care. And it forever changed me. And I don't remember how long I worked at this facility. It may have been a year, but I remember that was such a healing time for me. And I remember going through this period where I literally had to pull myself together every day. And then one day, I was just the newer version of myself. I had accepted what was. I had made some steps to move forward. I began this process with understanding more about health insurance and how it works And then I became curious about women who were just like myself that had preterm delivery. And fast forward years later, there has been so many babies that have lived. And I remember even my last baby that I had, she would have been born early as well. But the medicine that they had out, 
at that time when my youngest daughter was born in 2003, it wasn't available back in 2000. And just to show you how much of a leap life is, you know, when people think about pharmaceutical companies and just take your mind off of COVID and and what we're doing now, but, you know, it takes so long to find the right combination of drugs. And I got life-saving drugs that preserved the life of my daughter, who's now 17 years old. Because my body was destined to repeat the same pattern. And there were other things I learned about myself, my body and physicality that I wasn't aware of back at that time. And again, all about access to care. And hence why I work in a role where I'm always advocating for people to have access to health care and understanding their benefits and really understanding from the provider's perspective how we need to come together and look at this as a communal issue instead of, oh, this is an employer pay system and this is what the government subsidies and really, you know, bring in these health inequities together. And that moment changed me. And I could have stayed in my place and been sad and said, you know what, this is a horrible thing. I lost a child. No one should have to bury their baby. And I could have had a platform to be on whatever the depression uh, medicine was or is to help me through that time. And not that that wasn't a bad thing, but I allowed all my feelings to come up and rise to the surface. And I dealt with them. And the only therapeutic session I had wasn't one-on-one. It was through this group. And I'm pleased to report we all what we call had rainbow babies. Everyone in our group after that loss that year, we all went on to have subsequent kids afterwards. And it was such a beautiful thing to get the emails and I was on the email club and I remember, I forgot how many years we kept in contact with each other. And as a matter of fact, I had moved back to uh, the Columbus, Ohio area because I was in Cleveland at the time. And I remember I was still getting emails from the group and we were talking about the rainbow babies. And I remember when I got pregnant with my daughter, I was scared to death because I remember what I went through. And that dark night of the soul taught me so many valuable nuggets. And when I find myself going to that dark place or things happen in life where I just feel like this is so insurmountable, I don't know how I can get through this. I remember how all of the angels in their human form and how life evolved and came for me. And it may not at the time look that way, but time and perspective, let me reflect that. I did have good company of angels around me. And I did have that dark night of the soul where I broke open and it gave me so much more appreciation for life. And it gave me pause to appreciate every day. Because what I want to remind people is that our days all start off with the same intent. You know, no one wakes up and says, I want to be in a car accident. I want to lose a loved one. I want to lose my life, whatever the case may be. We wake up and our life is given. That's what we have to work with. And what I try to remind myself is that I'm here. I'm still operating in this body. I'm operating in this mind. And I have the people that I love the most in my life. And those who have passed on, I remember them fondly. And I remember the joy that I've gotten because their lives were here on this planet and with myself at the same time.
So when you get down and you don't think that you can move forward and you don't think that that situation will ever be the same, and it won't, you will cross over to your newer version of who you are yet to be on your journey. And that is all being developed during the dark nights of the soul. So I hope you know that we are all going through our own journeys and that we all have our own different experiences and we do get to the other side, but you have to want it bad enough and you have to keep pushing for it. Thank you so much for allowing me to share with you and I hope you got something out of this. Namaste.